As we come now to the very Word of God, if you'd like to read along with me, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We finally made it to chapter 2 of the Bible. Uh, This is Genesis chapter 2, but before before we read, would you please pray again with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, you've called us to come to you, all who are weary and are heavy laden and have said that you will give us rest for our souls. We come to you now, setting ourselves before your holy word with hope, looking for the rest that comes from you. Help us now to listen with our ears and with our hearts, because you are gentle and lowly at heart. Help us to see you and to know you. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis in chapter 2. And to give us a good ramp up into it, I want to back up into the, the very end of the sixth day of creation. So I'll back up just a tad into chapter 1. I'll begin in verse, well, let's see, verse 29. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. We'll read then into chapter 2. Verse 29 begins this way. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of God. Now, it's taken us a while, but we have made it now, come to the seventh and final day of God's creation of all the heavens and all the earth. And we don't have to be a scholar to recognize that this day is different from all the days that we've seen before it. So here on the seventh day, we don't see what we've seen in the prior days. We don't see a command from God, let there be light. Uh, We don't don't see any new creation from God, and there was light. 
Uh, We don't see any evaluation from God, the, and it was good. We don't see any of the transitional markers, and there was evening, and there was morning. None of those things are are here. In some ways, this seventh day is just like the days prior to it. It is a day, after all, but it is clearly distinct from them. God does something different here. On the seventh day, God finished his work and God rested. You'll recognize the word for rest here in English. The word for rest in Hebrew is is Sabbath. And God Sabbathed. So this is the very first Sabbath day. So now our question guiding the rest of our time is, what is that? What is Sabbath? That's an important question. We'll explore it using six observations. Normally a three-point sermon today, you get double. Uh, Six observations on the question, what is Sabbath? Let me not waste a moment. I'll just get after it. First observation, Sabbath is rest. Sabbath is rest. And the first thing, at least for me, that comes to mind when I hear the word rest is nap. Anyone else? First thing that comes to mind when I hear the word rest is nap. You know, that Sunday afternoon appointment that I have with the couch. Okay? And and sleep okay, can be a a good and important part of rest. But sleep is not at the center of what rest is. We notice that the one Sabbathing here is God, and God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He does not need sleep, but he does rest. So the meaning of rest or Sabbath is literally to to cease, to stop. It says here in the text that God God finished his work. God stopped his work, even though he could have done more, right? God, God doesn't go back and tweak any of the days. He doesn't go back and go, ah, the moon could be just a little bit brighter. Let's tune that up just a couple of notches. He doesn't go, we missed a couple of trees over here. Let's throw a few more. He doesn't make any new animals, new creatures. No, here on the seventh day, we get a full stop. There is rest. The Sabbath rest, then, this ceasing, is bound up together with another related idea. We hear it mentioned toward the end of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 31. Listen for the rest and what it's coupled with. Verse uh, 17 of Exodus 31. It, he's talking about the Sabbath here, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. God rested and and was refreshed. There is rest and refreshment. Now, it may sound odd to us that God would be refreshed, at least maybe in the ways that we might think about it. But this word here for refreshment carries the sense of 
breathing in. So a good example, as you may have noticed on the way in, that we have some new uh, concrete parking blocks out. Thank you for those who put them in. Uh, was it Stevie and Danny? I think I maybe saw a few others. Uh, I, I didn't watch the process of this, but I can imagine how the installation of these cement blocks goes. You know, you got to load up the blocks, you haul them over, you unload them, you position them right, you get them all secure, and then when, you, when the work is done, when it's finished, you stop, cease, step back, and you do one of these. Ah. <sighs> Right? Isn't that the way it normally goes with your work? Hands on hips and a, and a breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. That's a refreshment. So this Sabbath now is a whole day of this. A whole day of R&R, &R, of rest and refreshment, of ceasing and breathing in. That's what God is doing on this first Sabbath. That's our first observation. Let me make a second. Second, Sabbath is patterned. It's patterned. So the seventh day is not strictly required, right? At least not uh, necessary for recovery, at least not for God. Rest here is not connectedness connected to tiredness, God doesn't get tired. So it's not rest for recovery. Rest here is just connected to, to work. And God is setting a pattern, a regular rhythm of rest and work for all of creation to follow. He's built this pattern into the very fabric of his creation design. He then is establishing in this first creation week this seven-day pattern of rest as the Bible unfolds is to extend now to people afterward that, that they are to be pattern of work and rest for the people, for their children, for their servants, for, their, for the locals, for the foreigners that come in, for even the ox, the donkey, and the livestock. Even the land itself, the Lord says, is to be given a sort of, of Sabbath for it to, to have a sense of ceasing and breathing in. These are part of the rhythms of life as God made them. So just as God makes summer and winter, makes daytime and nighttime and waking and sleeping, he also makes rhythms of work and rest. And this Sabbath pattern is not like the sort of design pattern you might see on a rug. A lot of rugs or quilts have various patterns, and if, there, if there's a shape or a color that's out of place that breaks the pattern, it's not that big of a deal at the end of the day, right? It's mostly about aesthetics or appearances. It's still going to be a good rug, a good quilt. But this Sabbath pattern is much more like the design pattern that we see on a bridge. On a bridge, there's still a sort of beauty in the pattern of its design, but if there's a cable or a girder that's out of place and breaks the pattern on a bridge, that doesn't just affect the way it looks, that affects the way it works. Sabbath is built into the way creation is meant to work. 
And there is a sort of engineering that God has built into this Sabbath pattern. That's the second. Sabbath is patterned. Here's the third. Sabbath is commanded. Sabbath is commanded. On this very first Sabbath, what we see here in Genesis chapter 2, there's no command. This is about the Lord's own Sabbath rest, the, the, the paradigm that sets the pattern. But after this, Sabbath observance does become a command of God. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's number, quiz time, number four. Number four is where there's a set of commandments, actually, that are tied together, built around the Sabbath. This is in Exodus chapter 20. Let me just read the whole command so you hear it all. Chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the entire command. Notice here, the first command isn't just rest. The first command is actually work. Six days you shall labor. It doesn't say work if you have to. It doesn't say work if you need the money. We're talking about work, not just a job or career. It doesn't just say work until you can retire, work until you win the lottery, nor does it say work if you like the work that you happen to be doing. It just says work. And the reason for that command, not here but elsewhere, is because work itself is right and good. Work is part of our service to the world and to people around us. It's the way that we exercise our God-given dominion to keep and to care for his creation. Pain is part of the fall, a product of sin, but work itself is part of God's good creation. But bound up together with this command for six days of work, there's also a command to cease work, to Sabbath, to rest, to Sabbath to the Lord, that there would be a whole day that's a full stop for the whole community. So this fourth commandment from God is actually keeping us from opposite sins in commanding us to work and cease work. It's guarding us against laziness, but also guarding us against workaholism. We don't want either of those. And it helps keep us in check if we seek to obey God's command here. We should notice then that this Sabbath command, the fact that it is a command, means it is something that does not just automatically happen. Sabbath rest, again, is different from sleep. Have you ever been on a long car ride? 
Okay, usually there's someone who's the designated driver. Maybe you rotate out, but it, it gets late into the night and you get one of those moments where you're trying to fight off the sleep. You get your little coffee or beverage of choice. Maybe turn up some good tunes and, and, and maybe get that little smack in the face. Whatever it is that you try to, to guard off sleep. But if you go on long enough without stopping, eventually sleep will get you. It's just the way it goes. You know, maybe there were t- there's times that we wish sleep would take over and it doesn't seem to want to, but, but eventually sleep will take over and our bodies are forced to rest. You know, I read a, a little wise tidbit from a, a therapist somewhere that said, if you don't schedule breaks, your body will take one for you and it probably won't be at a convenient time. It's true. Sabbath, however, is different from this. This is not something that just automatically overtakes us. Sabbath rest is meant to be willfully entered into. It's a command from God that calls for our intentional obedience. That's the third. It's commanded. Here's the fourth observation. Sabbath has latitude. Sabbath has latitude. This may be the most convincing one. Let me do the best I can to explain it. By latitude, I mean there's a fair amount of elbow room here. Got some wiggle space. There's some freedom here of various good and acceptable ways that Sabbath rest can be enacted. So in Jesus' day, various uh, religious leaders seemed to get on Jesus' case all the time about a bunch of things, but particularly for violating Sabbath laws, that he wasn't fitting into the legalistic way that they expected him to to rest, that they accused Jesus on the Sabbath of, of healing from various diseases, which he wasn't supposed to do. He was harvesting handfuls of grain to eat with, he, with his disciples, which apparently he wasn't supposed to do. He was, quote, working when he was supposed to be resting. And, and Jesus tells those people, hey, listen, <laughs> this isn't sin. You just have a really poor, small understanding of Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, he could have said, you've made the Sabbath into a straitjacket when it's meant to just be a jacket. And you're condemning other people because they're not practicing the Sabbath in the exact same way that you think they ought to do. To restrict the Sabbath in that way misses the whole point. Uh, Paul gets after this when he says just a couple of things to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 2. Let me find it. I think it's verse 16. Yes, here, here's what Paul says. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He makes a whole larger point here that these things are meant to point us to Jesus. But basically he's saying, don't let someone 
put all these edges on you around. Don't allow them to box you into one particular way of the Sabbath. So there are some people that would say, hey, wait a minute. The Sabbath is the seventh day, not the first. The Sabbath ought to be on a Saturday. So we should be resting on Saturday and not Sunday. There are some whole denominations even that say that. And there are reasons why most Christians typically worship on a Sunday and not a Saturday. We don't need to go into that. Let's just not make a mountain out of a molehill here and pass all sorts of Sabbath judgments. You know, we know the calendar is fairly arbitrary, but as it's printed, they typically put Sunday as the start of the week, but they could just as easily shift it and start the week with Monday, you know? It's all the same. Who knows when the week starts and ends? The end result is the same, that we have one day in seven that is set apart as the Sabbath. And the Bible doesn't get nitpicky about all these things. It's interesting that while Sabbath is commanded, the Sabbath also doesn't exactly get spelled out into what exactly constitutes work and rest. There's some freedom to wisely sift through these things. We have latitude, freedom here. To be clear, that doesn't mean that, that, that the Sabbath is all ours to do whatever we want with it. You know, we shouldn't delude ourselves into thinking rest means do whatever you want and just ignore the Sabbath essentially and call it good. The Sabbath is the Lord's day after all. It's his. Our rest is in submission to him. But what we mean by this latitude is that there is variance of Sabbath practice that will look different even amongst faithful Christians that this is an area in which the Holy Spirit will guide our consciences differently. And we need to give some room for that latitude. That's the fourth. The Sabbath has latitude. Two more. The Sabbath is holy. The Sabbath is holy. This is named here in the very beginning of the Genesis part that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, says the text. And in this context, holy does not mean cleansed. It doesn't mean washed. Holy in this sense means set apart, marked as different. So we know throughout the scripture, God sets apart lots of things as holy in the Bible. He sets apart firstborn. He sets apart Mount Sinai. He sets apart priests and offerings and the tabernacles and feasts. And even all of his people, Israel, are set apart as holy. But the very first thing in the Bible that God calls holy is a day. The seventh day which is specially set apart as a holy Sabbath day of rest. So listen, we need to ask ourselves an important question. 
does the Sabbath day look holy in my life? Does the Sabbath day look holy in my life? Not just, is it the day that I go to church? We mean, is it, is it a day that reflects the sort of holiness, the sort of separateness, the sort of otherness that God has bestowed upon it? Is it a day that contains that sort of rhythmic rest and refreshment where we willingly obey God in ceasing and breathing in? Is the Sabbath day in my life a day that looks different? I don't know exactly how it might look different. I can't tell all of us exactly what it looks like for each one of us to follow in Sabbath practice. We recognize that that some jobs make this particularly difficult. People that work in medicine or law enforcement, for example, require workers 24-7. We also know that parents can't, can't just totally press the pause button on their work. In some ways, kids are on, ongoing. And, and there are always unexpected events that happen from, from time to time. So we can't just make a blanket statement of rules like the Pharisees did, but we do want to take the Sabbath seriously, to allow it to disrupt our normal work days. That we would be a people that prioritize Sabbath rest, whatever that might exactly look like. This is worth giving our attention to, to treat the day as holy. The Sabbath was not just an afterthought, a bonus day to make it a nice even seven. It's not a catch-up day. This is a day that God specifically created and set apart for holy rest, and we should not neglect that. That's the fifth. One final observation. Sabbath is trust. Sabbath is about trust. You know, in some ways, the ways of God are always good for everyone, whether the person is Christian or not. You know, in this case, there's, there's just really good science behind the need for rhythmic rest. And consistent practice of real stopping and resting makes a person healthier in in body and mind. There's some benefit to weekly rest no matter who we are. And in, in some ways that's true of any virtue, that whether a person is Christian or not, kindness is good, patience is good, joy is good. But there's more than just that going on here. This is not just to make ourselves better if we can manage to get the Sabbath set in place. This is a gift from God. It's meant to bring us to love him more 
That's what all virtues are. So the Sabbath, particularly for a Christian, for a believer in God, the Sabbath increases our love for God specifically by strengthening our trust in God. We know this. So the first time we see the Sabbath really put into practice in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, This is after the Lord had had led his people, Israel, out of the slavery that they'd been for so long in Egypt. They're they're now brought into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And, And during that time, God provides for their fundamental needs. He gives them shelter and water and food in the form of quail and manna. This manna was this mysterious kind of honey bread that would appear on the ground every morning. I guess you just wipe the dirt off a little bit, rub it on your pants, but but you've got your day's bread. And God told them that the manna, the day's bread, they were to only gather a day's worth every day. Otherwise, it would cause them trouble, in addition to also uh, stink and cause worms if there were leftovers. But, and that was to be the case every day. Only gather one day's worth except on the sixth day. And on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much. Twice as much, you gather, you bring it into the home, and you prepare it for the next day because tomorrow, no manna is going to appear. Tomorrow is a day of rest and refreshment to the Lord. And that happened week after week. This is the way the people of Israel then lived for a very long time. I I point this out because there are real things on the line here in their Sabbath. Their Sabbath isn't just about good mental health, you know, building a positive society. Their Sabbath practice is about survival, about having enough food to eat for the day. And for many people today, Sabbath practice also carries similar sorts of high stakes. You know, we can, we can imagine the working parent that is, that is just trying to hold down three jobs to try to barely make ends meet. In that context, you could imagine how tempting it would be to think that we cannot afford to cease for Sabbath. In the case of a business owner, who feels like he or she needs to be on call all the time to be able to make snap decisions at a moment's notice to actually put all that on pause for a whole day each week. Sabbath could cause a loss of clients and revenue, perhaps even reputation. We know that an athlete who, who chooses to abstain from playing games on the Sabbath, that could get him kicked off the team. All of these sorts of things press on our idea of what Sabbath is and what it means to rest. It is sometimes tough and even costly. But for all of us, no matter our situation, Sabbath at least does this. Listen, if you've lost me, come back here now. Sabbath purges us of the sin of thinking that we can sustain ourselves. It calls us to stop. And more than just being a long day's pause, 
more than just a nap, more than just a pause of rest and pattern of commands and latitude, holy days, all that we've talked about. It's, it's a day of trust in God by grace through faith. A Sabbath is our chance to offer regular surrender to the God who made us and cares for us. To trust that God himself is our rest. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank you for these good words. In some ways we see the benefit of real rest here, but but guard us from thinking this is some work that we could do on our own. Lord, would you work this in us? By the grace of Jesus and the power of your spirit, would you produce obedience and trust in us that we would find real rest in you? Help us to surrender to this good design that you've made from the very first days of creation. Thank you for being our God. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.